Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Physical Attraction is a podcast about physics, science, and technology. We are time travelers, jumping from the distant past to the distant future. From the life of Isaac Newton to the ways the world might end. And from the lives of quarks to the life cycle of neutron stars. No subject is too big or too small. We interview scientists, authors, activists, and historians, and there's been a special focus on Russia-related issues. We interviewed the author of Stalin and the Scientist, Simon Ings, about science in the Soviet Union, and had several episodes about the atomic bomb. Subscribe to Physical Attraction on iTunes, or visit the website at www.physicspodcast.com. Additionally, Physical Attraction has a sister podcast, Autocracy Now, about historical dictators, which is currently in an epic series on the life of Stalin. You can find that show at www.autocracynow.libsyn.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Well, the Latvian elections have passed, and we have a lot of news to discuss, both about my country's election and what happened abroad, mostly in Russia, because we have a lot of fun things to talk about this time. One thing I'd like to say first is that we've got a new microphone, thanks to you guys, by the recommendation of our new editor, Anate. Thanks, Anate. We're using a Thai studio microphone. It's amazing, and I hope it really does sound different and better than what we had before, because, yeah, our Yeti was aging at this time, and, well, this new thing is truly amazing. But yeah, I kind of have to do a follow-up on the Latvian elections after my previous episode. So let's start with the results now. The election was won by the Harmony Party with 19.88% of the vote. Then the uh, 
well, how I call them, the Instapetoch people, the uh, KPV.LV guys with uh, Artur Skymage, the um, the actor guy, they have 14.12% of the vote. Then there are the new Conservative Party with 136 the for development, just four, with 12% of the vote, 12.04 to be exact. And then the Nationalist Party, all for Latvia and for the Freedom of Fatherland, they have 11.03% of the vote. Then the Greens and Farmers Union had 9.95%. And the New Unity Party got 6.69%. So those are all the parties that got into the parliament. The thing is, the coalition looks really strange, because the Harmony Party, well, no one wants to work with them, which is actually might be a bit controversial, but I do think that people should work with them more. After all, they did win the election, even though they had been winning the previous three or four elections, but they, uh, they're ready to speak with anyone, but anyone else just declines any cooperation with them, which is, I think, uh, quite wrong. Like I mentioned in the interview, they should be worked with. How much votes did the actor guy got, the uh, KPV.LV, or uh, Who Owns the Country party with Artus Skamich in front of them? Yeah, I despise them the most, and they had the second most votes. Strange. Uh, then the New Conservatives. I quite like this development. New Conservatives being third and uh, for development being the fourth. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, thing for Latvia, I think. If we look at the results in total, then you can see that the three new parties have gotten a lot of traction here. How it looks like right now is that the New Conservatives shall take the lead and probably get the premiership which uh, I think might get interesting. Whether or not they'll speak with uh, with Artus Skymage, the blatant populistic party, that's a different question. They won't speak with Harmony, which is, I think is a bit of a mistake, but hey. In general, the old coalition, the old governing coalition, has gotten a huge blow with uh, their supporters, so hey. Uh, anyways, we have seven parties elected to our parliament. Seven. And what it looks like is that despite the fact that five of those parties are from the third to the seventh place, I think they will make the coalition. It's going to turn very interesting soon enough. However, one of the things that made this whole election really interesting is that um, we have our own local sort of Facebook thing here in Latvia. It's called Draugemalve, or uh, Fripe, if you go to the English version of the site. And just on the election day, the site was hacked. And they posted very pro-Russian imagery on the front page, including pictures of Putin, pictures of Russian secret service and everything. They literally hacked the page so that the front page cycled through these images and stated, quote, Comrades Latvians, this is really concerning you. The border of Russia doesn't end anywhere. The Russian world can and must unite everyone who concerns themselves about the Russian language and Russian culture wherever they will be living in, whether it's in Russia or beyond its borders. Uh, You should use the term Russian world more often. Now, the thing is that this is the most interesting thing that happened in these elections, because um, a lot of people state that it's like Russian hacking, but on the other side, we have uh, parties who declare that, well, this obviously just made more profits, political profits, to the right-wing parties. Now, I'd rather state that this very aggressive assault just clearly didn't work uh, for anyone who would be pro-Kremlin or something. But then again, seeing how the whole Skripal case has developed itself, seeing how it has worked so far, and what's happened with it, 
I mean, you just have to understand that it might as well be Russian influencers, so to speak, like pro-Putin people. You can't really even call our own Russian parties pro-Putin because that just dumb. But yeah, this is how it works. Uh, I have nothing to comment on this because, well, it might as well be trolls from the very right-wing nationalistic parties. And at the same time, yeah, that might just show more of the incompetence of Russian GRU service. Which that is a lot to talk about. Which is what we're going to do right next. So, let's turn to our uh, nice men from the GRU. The thing is, and my source here is the Daily Mail, how Putin's, quote, hapless hackers, end quote, were, quote, red-handed in Holland, and, yeah, they basically outed more than 300 other agents in, um, how uh, the Daily Mail calls it, a most extraordinary blunder. Essentially, everyone around the world now have a database of hundreds of Russian agents, all because of two of the men caught in the hog had diplomatic passports using their real names and dates of birth. The news agency Bellingcat, who, by the way, were the same guys who revealed the true identities of the Salisbury assassins, and one of them is the hero of the Russian Federation for his work in Chechnya and for his rescue of uh, (laughs) the leader of Ukraine, Yanukovych, during the time of the Maidan, you know, the pro-Russian one. Yeah, apparently these uh, passports reveal that two men are both registered as living in the GRU's military academy in Moscow. And the guy's, uh, Alexei Morinets, uh, his vehicle, Lada, is also registered at GRU's cyber warfare department down the road. And most investigators say that by searching other vehicles registered to the same address, they have identified 305 other members of the GRU. That's like the spy network is crumbling. To add to all this incompetency, which is a shame, because I do believe that Viktor Suvorov, one of the ex-GRU agents who wrote about the agency and whose books I'm a huge fan of, yeah, this uh, leaked list includes the spies' names, dates of birth, and mobile phone numbers, which is essentially dismantling this whole cyber assault unit. And they have a lot of data on all the situation. The, uh, and here again comes from the Daily Mail, the extraordinary moment for the four dump bonds were arrested at the Marriott in the Hague, and all this was revealed by Horrell's manager. Vincent Falflatz said the police arrived at the hotel in the city's upmarket Stadtenquartier district and asked him what rooms the men were in when the spies all emerged from the lift. But there were no guns, no handcuffs or force, as the Daily Mail reports, and the men left calmly until one threw his smartphone on the ground and started stomping on it. Mr. Paul Flutz told AFP, quote, The police went to the front desk and said we would like to talk to a few of your guests. At that very same time, the four men came out of the elevator into the lobby, coincidentally. The police officer simply told the men, Will you please follow me? And they did. They followed the police outside and never returned. Some people were checking in and they didn't even notice what was going on. And Mr. Paul Flutz added, quote, It sounds like the James Bond, but there was no James Bond involved. No Aston Martinis, no revolving number plates, nobody skydiving for the rooftop. It's a very dull story. And yeah, this was kind of interesting because in a way this just mirrors how the West, the collective West, the EU and the United States sort of were working to dismantle Vladimir Putin's cyber war network. Because he's doing a bunch of things. I'm not sure how he influenced our elections, but hey. The thing is that the British and Dutch authorities have now named four members of Russia's GRU military intelligence unit, literally caught red-handed trying to infiltrate the inquiry of the Salisbury poisoning. 
The problem is that those guys literally had their empty Heineken beer bottles and everything that they left in the uh, hotel building with them to kind of cover the tracks. Yeah, and they got caught in, in this attempt to basically leave. And as you can see in the pictures that, you know, they had a rented Citroen C3 with a Wi-Fi panel antenna acted as, you know, an access point hidden under a coat, and they also had laptops and transformers and batteries and everything. It's kind of crazy. So yeah, this just means more EU sanctions against Russia, and the decision to reveal these weird details of this counter-espionage operation, I think, yeah, they were designed to kind of humiliate Putin and expose Kremlin's activities around the world. Which is, well, in my mind, it's a pretty good thing, because I honestly believe that Russian people do deserve much better than Putin. But yeah, calling Russia a, quote, pariah state, Defense Secretary Gavin Williamson said, quote, <clears throat> Where Russia acts in an indiscriminate and reckless way, which they have done in terms of these cyber attacks, we will be exposing them. Foreign Office Minister Sir Alan Duncan, from Britain, obviously, warned that Russia could try to shut down British power station or bank next. He said, quote, on the one level, this is frankly absurd and comical because they have been so cack-handed. But also, it's very dangerous because the next target could be a power station or trying to stop a bank from doing its work. They are doing very, very dangerous and malign things. So yeah, this this gang of four utterly incompetent and just strange GRU spies who operated under the codename Sandworm targeted the headquarters of the Organization of the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in The Hague in April, where officials were trying to confirm the origin of the Novichok nerve agent used to poison former spy Sergei Skripal. Even though there are news in Russia about how Sergei Skripal himself wasn't the most nicest of people. For example, you know, it's kind of weird that he had defected, and at the same time, he apparently had cooperated with the Spanish secret services in revealing some Russian mafia connections to the Spanish government. And apparently he was a very Krimnash folks, you know, the guys who actually support Crimea's annexation. And he also was an avid viewer of both the First Channel and the RTV. So he still kind of had this connection to so-called Russian cultural ties, Kulturny Skrepe. For some reason, apparently he was targeted exactly because of his organized crime ties, which we can again, you know, lock down on Putin. Because honestly, like I always state, Russia deserves so much better. In the end, this whole incompetency thing just proves that GRU is far, far away from their golden days in the Soviet Union. That they have moved aside, that they've changed in the worst way possible. That those guys are now basically just a reflection of everything that's going on there. I mean, Soviet Union did launch people in space and had a lot of science achievements. But now, well, now everything's just being drunk down. Which is a quite of a sad thing, really, because I, for one, would like to see some competence coming out of this. I would like to see Russian government, you know, being competent for once. Which is uh, highly unlikely to happen in the nearest future, I think. However, besides this, we have major protests in Ingushia to look at, uh, in the border of Ingushia and Ingushetia and uh, Chechnya. Due to the fact that there's a planned land exchange, which is about to happen. However, there are an obscene amount of people protesting against this, and which has caused a lot of issues in the local Russian politics lately. 
Hey there everyone, Annette here. I hope you all love our new and improved sound. It's all thanks to our lovely supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash the eastern border. In addition to making tech upgrades like this possible, our Patreons have access to special content that we make just for them. This month we're wrapping up the book A Russian Diary by Anna Politkovskaya and next month we're moving on to the Soviet children's classic and a particular favorite of Kristaps, Duno on the Moon by Nikolai Nosov. Please remember to also follow us on Twitter at eastern underscore border and also leave us a like on Facebook. We love to hear from you and we always reply to your comments. See you online! Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So let's go straight into what has actually happened. You see, and this is again from Medusa.io. On December the 26th, the heads of Chechnya and Ingushetia, which of one of them is our good friend Ramzan Kadyrov, our best friend next to Putin. So these guys signed an agreement securing the border between the two Russian republics. According to Yunus Bekyevkurov, the guy from Ingushetia, the deal strengthens a border that's been in place since Ingushetia's independence in 1982, while making a, quote, few small divisions at the bottom in the plains, and exchanging an inch-for-inch uninhabited croplands owned by its state unitary enterprises. An official statement on the Ingush government's website, because, you know, this is like states trading territory in the United States, essentially. But this whole thing states that the border regions will only affect mountainous wooded areas. At the time this is written, on the 27th of September, it was still unclear what lands were actually traded, and news agencies had been publishing contradictory information. Initial reports claimed that Ingushetia exchanged Maglobetsky district for Chechnya's Nateretsky district. But it later turned out that Ingushetia has given part of Sunzetsky district to Chechnya in return for part of Naterenshi district. Those are long words to speak, but hey, the thing is, there are a lot of natural resources on Ingushetia's part that they're trading away, while Chechnya is literally giving, well, land of the middle of nowhere to Ingushetia. Now, both Kadyrov and Yevkurov say that the, quote, historic agreement will smooth the relations between their two peoples. On Telegram, which is banned in Russia, mind you, let me remind just that, yeah. Our friend Ramzan Kadyrov wrote, quote, <clears throat> Until this moment, there has been no legally established border between these two subjects of the Russian Federation, giving enemies of the Nakh peoples grounds for various political provocations. In a statement of the English government's website, Yakurov called the agreement a compromise, noting that both sides managed to avoid conflicts as well as possible bloodshed and blood grudges. 
The day before the agreement was signed, protests broke out in Gushetia. Entry into the capital was blocked, and internet access in major cities was disabled. In late 2018, August, the social movement Support Ingushetia reported that construction equipment and armed security forces from Chechnya suddenly appeared at a forest not far from the village of Arshi, which has long been the subject of territorial disputes between Ingushetia and Chechnya. They apparently started cutting down valuable lumber, destroying the rich topsoil and changing the natural landscape. This is what the news website Not reported. The director of a local conservation park later confirmed these claims. At the time, Ingush Nationalities Policy Minister Muslim Yandiyev said that the Chechen construction crew wanted to push the Ingush checkpoint at a kilometer deeper into the Republic. We explained to them that the border passed through here. We showed them the map. I don't know what they were after. The work has stopped now, and the checkpoints haven't moved, Yandiyev said. According to Alvi Karimova, Ramzan Kadyrov's spokesman, the construction crew was only repairing the roads in the area for residents of both Chechnya and Ingushetia. Now, this whole trade thing, it has turned into something bigger, something that might start some really serious issues since, well, the Caucasus region is viewed as essentially the Balkans of Europe. Long explanation here, but, you know, the Balkans have caused World War I, and uh, this is where real trouble might happen there. See, on October the 4th, as internet service suddenly started failing in major towns and cities across Ingushetia, the protesters flooded the town square outside the parliament building in Magas, which is the capital of Ingushetia, demonstrating against the ratification of a new border deal between Ramzan Kadyrov and Yunusbek Yevkurov. At first, only about two dozen people joined the rally, led by the local human rights activist Magomed Mutsulugov. According to BBC reporters on the ground, police and National Guardsmen conversed with protesters while urging journalists to leave the square. Before long, however, the crowd swelled to several thousand people, and the BBC estimates that there were roughly 2,500 demonstrators on Thursday. According to anecdotal reports, many of the protesters wanted the border agreement cancelled and Yevkura to resign. Yevkurov eventually tried to address the crowd, but someone threw a plastic bottle at him, prompting his security guards to unload several long bursts of automatic gunfire into the air above the protesters, who were largely undeterred by the show of force. Let them send us to Kazakhstan again if they want to take out the land, one woman told the BBC, referring to the 1944 Soviet deportation of the Chechen and English populations. After Yevkurov fled the square, surrounded by his guards and policemen, the crowd soon got wind of a new development. Ingushetia's parliament had reportedly ratified the border agreement, despite a ruling by the Republic's constitutional court hours earlier, stating that only a popular referendum could finalize the deal. Later in that evening, Yakurov announced that he had signed the parliament's ratification. Appealing to the public, in a video posted on Instagram, Ingushetia's leader asked people to go home and stop demonstrating. Quote, the fact that I've created comfortable conditions for you over the past 10 years as a head of the Republic and done everything to make you feel like a democratic society doesn't mean you can violate the laws so brazenly and embarrass our Republic. This is what Yevkurov said. Members of Parliament soon showed up at the protest, however, claiming that 15 of the legislators' 24 deputies had actually voted against the border deal, arguing that the official results were falsified. Yevkurov, meanwhile, suggested that the demonstrators from the delegation of 10 to 15 people to meet with his office, but the protesters rejected the offer, insisting that they only want to speak to the members of Ingushetia's parliament. As these negotiations were underway, two Suhoi Su-25 fighter jets reportedly circled the square. Demonstrators then started pitching tents and gathering benches to accommodate older people in the crowd. Roughly 500 people, including several women and children, spent the night in the square. 
It was cold and rainy, but protesters built fires to stay warm and locals came with food and blankets. But the next day, there was a whole field kitchen up and running. On October the 5th, rumors started circulating that a local government agency has threatened to fire any employees who attended the rally. According to the news agency RIA Novosti, religious leaders, meanwhile, drafted the petition calling for Yerukov's resignation. Speaking to the BBC's correspondents on the ground, demonstrators expressed confusion about why Russia's national television networks aren't reporting from the protest. People in the square reportedly have many theories about why Yevkurov is defending such an unpopular agreement, speculating that he might be profiting from illicitly somehow, or that the deal is meant to secure Chechen leader Ramzan Khadirov's support for him in Moscow for another term as the head of Ingushetia. Protesters apparently believe almost unanimously that Khadirov's interest in the borderlands has to do with Chechnya's recent acquisition of Chechenyevchehimprom. Uh, that is an abbreviation that means Chechnya's oil and chemical factory. Yeah, oh my, the, they still love abbreviations in Russia. And apparently, yeah, this Sunzhinsky district apparently contains all deposits, like I stated. So basically, Ingushetia's people are forced to trade their oil-rich fields for basically nothing, really. But yeah... In tweets on Friday, October the 5th, BBC correspondents Ilya Barabanov and Lisa Focht reported that local English security forces were praying alongside demonstrators and shielding them from abused-in National Guardsmen from, <clears throat> quote, the Urals and Dagestan. Quote, people here are largely convinced that the English security forces won't let these guys break up the crowd. Fought from Magas. So yeah, this is what's gonna happen. Because these people are tired about their land being broken, and they have no respect for Mr. Ramzan Kadyrov. For Ramzan Kadyrov is a war criminal, he's a terrible, terrible person, who should be convicted on multiple accounts on crimes against humanity. If there is a person that I dislike more than Mr. Putin, that would be Mr. Ramzan Kadyrov, because you can't find a scum more vile on this planet Earth than this godforsaken, filthy scum and a foul person, he is an affront to all uh, humanitarian civilities and to people's rights, and also, well, to most Muslims around the planet Earth, as I do believe that majority of them want nothing to do with Mr. Kadyrov. He is the one being in the Russian politics that I would proclaim to be pure evil, however, he's also one of the few people actually being capable and able to run the country after Putin's downfall, which is, well, inevitable. If anything happens very suddenly, then we'll get Mr. Kadyrov on the ground. Which will be bad. Then again, then again, you have to think about how everything's going on. Because, hey, more news from the past week. Uh, do you remember how the leader of the National Guard in Russia, Viktor Zolotov, basically challenged Navalny to duel? Well, yeah, there's more things about him as well. So, Viktor Zolotov, you know, he informed the populace about that apparently he talked down a suicide bomber at the Kremlin on Wednesday. And if you don't believe him, you're invited to accompany Zolotov to the North Caucasus to witness counter-terrorist training exercises in the mountains. See, on October the 4th, in the special announcement of the National Guard's official website, the agency stated that the man identified as Dr. Yu Shalai parked an armored Mercedes-Benz G-Class in Vasilevsky Spusk Square near St. Basil's Cathedral to threaten to detonate an explosive if he wasn't granted an immediate face-to-face -face meeting with the head of the National Guard. But, uh, yeah, when Zolotov was informed of the situation... He apparently, according to him, and him only, rushed to the scene and began negotiating with the bomber. 
According to the National Guard of Russia, and this is serious, I'm not kidding here, Shalai said he has been trying for some time to reach President Putin in order to pass along information about the shortcomings and the violations of Russia's prison system. Zolotov then, for some reason, and somehow, according to Zolotov himself, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, I am dead serious here, this happened, or at least was reported, Zolotov then convinced the man to let him remove a backpack and gas cylinder from the car's backseat, which he then turned over to the bomb squad. Afterwards, Zolotov sat in the car with Shalai, where they continued their conversation. Quote, General Zolotov expressed his regret regarding Shalai's decision to use an unlawful method to convey his information to the country's leaders. The National Guard's press office says. Yeah, this is just so good. Zolotov then convinced the man to step out of the vehicle and turn himself over to authorities peacefully. The National Guard says it was compelled to publish the detailed retelling of Wednesday's standoff because, quote, various resources on internet and on social media are spreading distorted commentaries about this incident, including characterizing it as a staged event. Which is uh, totally not. Uh, Zolotov definitely did this. Uh, Mr. Zolotov, a new Superman. Zolotov, a manliest man in the universe. Uh, definitely. Of, of course. But yeah, it was crazy, because uh, Zolotov has uh, apparently extended an invitation to those who doubt his actions, and quote, and other seekers of alternative viewpoints who have a burning desire to participate in such staged events, to come with him to North Caucasus, where National Guard troops train alongside other counter-terrorist units. The site will, apparently to everyone, especially everyone who uses the internet, reveal uh, <clears throat> the full beauty of the work done by our staff and combat personnel. So this actually happened in Russia. But hey, this is just quite insane. Just, why not? At the same time as Zolta was making this, by the way. On September the 3rd, Putin submitted two pieces of draft legislation to the state Duma that would probably decriminalize quote-unquote extremist offenses under Criminal Code 282, which prohibits hate speech. And my friends at Medusa, I love those guys, they explain why these new amendments have a lot of drawbacks. Well, you know, besides the obvious benefit that there'll be fewer felony cases against harmlessly you know, internet content, just as we mentioned before about the Jon Snow memes. So what's getting well backed? See, for first, Putin's amendments will introduce a new misdemeanor statute, making first-time extremism offenses punishable by fines as about... 20,000 rubles, which is the average salary of Russia, which is about $300, yeah, or up to 100 hours of community service or 15 days in jail. Felony penalties would take effect if an individual commits an unquote-unquote extremist crime twice within the period of 12 months. These reforms would only apply to, quote, light hate speech, however, and first-time offenders would still face felony charges under aggravated circumstances, which is to say, like, if their actions were carried out by organized groups with the use of threats of violence or, you know, by a person through their, quote-unquote, official position. But yeah, legal entities will be subject to the same reforms, facing administrative fines as high as 500,000 rubles, which is about uh, $7,500. The good part of this is that once adopted, the amendments should lead to fewer criminal code 282 felony cases, because, uh, yeah, Russia's justice system has abused the statue more than anything else. And its persecution of internet users, like, you know, jailing 19-year-olds for Jon Snow memes. 
because they apparently offend the views of the rightly religious people. Yeah, that's a bad thing if you kind of imprison people for memes. And there's a lot of bad, too. The reforms will obviously unleash a new wave of misdemeanor cases, because these administrative charges are a lot easier to bring on than criminal charges, and police officers will likely take advantage of new statutes. Currently, the two most common misdemeanor charges involving extremist offenses are based on administrative statutes against quote-unquote demonstrating Nazi or extremist symbols, even though they're presented in a historical context, especially on pages, which are, well, Vkontakte or somewhere else, where people just speak about World War II. This is why I, in Latvia, had also to explain why I'm using Soviet symbolism as my logo, even though, for the listeners of the show, I am obviously not a communist fan or even approve of their ideology. However, it is illegal in Latvia to do public meetings with communist or Nazi symbolics openly because, you know, you can't promote those hateful and harmful ideologies here. Apparently, well, if it's just denounced to administrative case, that means like less people actually get jailed. However, that means more people will get punished. Alexander Verkovsky, the director of SOVA, Human Rights Center, told Medusa that police opened 3,500 extremism-related administrative cases in 2017. In that same time, officers launched only a 650 felony cases against crimes related to extremism. The reforms will create yet another statute prohibiting activities by legal entities, including mass media outlets. Russia already has a federal law administrative code banning media outlets from abusing the freedom of the press and distributing the content that justifies terrorism or, quote, promotes a cult of violence and cruelty. Now there will be yet another misdemeanor statue available to the police that can be enforced against any newsroom or other organization like a non-governmental organization. What freedoms are these people living in? It's just amazing. And of course, police will turn to other felony statues to prosecute extremism suspects. Russia's criminal code is still packed with other statues that can and will be, trust me, they will be, unless, you know, Ingushetia falls apart, which will lead to other uh, districts falling apart, because, you know, we've seen a lot of political cases here, because in every district where there was a second tour for a governorship, the Yedina Russia, the United Russia Party, lost. So, yeah, those guys will um, tighten the bolts, as to speak in proper Russian, against everyone who operates against them. So this thing will just get used and this law will be enforced against internet users who carelessly report allegedly extremist content. Law enforcement can charge these individuals with offending religious sensitivities, you know, the beliefs of the people, they might offend them, oh my, Uh, justifying terrorism, inciting separatism, and more. The more part is what worries everyone the most. Damir Gaidutunov, a lawyer at the Agorarides Human Rights Group, told my friends at Medusa that Russian police could very well fall back on these other extremism-related felony offenses. Also, Mr. Putin ignored the advice of his own Presidential Human Rights Council chairman. See, human rights activists like Polyutkovskaya, which is one of the reasons why I make this podcast, because I am a huge fan of Polyutkovskaya, and, you know, she's kind of the epitome of what a good journalism is, in my mind, together with Hunter S. Thompson, and that, so it kind of makes sense. The thing is, this chairman of the Human Rights Council basically recommended decriminalizing all nonviolent forms of extremist speech, because, you know, they're nonviolent, and advocated moving on non-aggravated violations of the Criminal Code 282 to Russia's administrative code with substantial additional revisions. The Kremlin promptly looked at this advice and ignored it. Why? Because, you know, 
someone has to be a Petuchin presence after all. But yeah, these, these mild reforms make a more meaningful revision of Russia's anti-extremism policing unlikely, because their extremism, like I said, is not actual go ISIS or something. Uh, their extremism is more like, you know, memes about Jon Snow and just harmless jokes on the internet by various people who actually want to exercise their rights to free speech. Which has been stated in Russia's constitution, but Russia's constitution is a paper which holds no meaning at this given point in time. But yeah, once Putin's amendments are adopted by federal lawmakers, it'll be even harder to achieve further changes to, like, actually do something meaningful. Obviously, once they hit in, then things are gonna get just worse. That's the problem. The politics in Eastern Europe are getting more and more difficult by the moment. They're not an easy thing to solve, and they're totally weird by modern standards. Well, we're trying, we're trying, and the world is now moving to an interesting place. I don't exactly know where or how, but uh, I'm going to keep up these political episodes as much as I can because, well, I do believe that they're, they kind of shine the light on a lot of issues that you might be facing in your own Western countries listening to this. It's just that this may come down to people being imprisoned for memes, which is something that I completely oppose because I am completely pro-free speech, completely pro-civil rights. And this is the thing. What's going on here in the eastern border is getting more interesting by the day. Not sure if I like it, though. However, yeah, next episode is going to be about that one time when the United States actually invaded Russia. Yeah, that actually happened. It's going to be about how the United States helped the whites in the Civil War in the Soviet Union. But there will be political episodes, of course, as well, because I just had to make one, especially since our Latvian election just ended. But yeah... We'll be going on forward stronger than ever, and I'm sure that I will publish my speech as a podcast episode after I go to Harvard, so thanks for all of that. And yeah, don't forget that we have a merchandise store at the easternborder.lv, where our new art is going to pop up very soon, and that we have a YouTube channel where you can like us so that more people get to know us, and that if you want to support the show, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash easternborder, or, you know, just donate to us via PayPal, we are homepage. And also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please write us emails and comments, we really do appreciate them here. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode about the recent political events, because I just had to make one because of all the crazy stuff that just has happened. We'll move on to history next week. So for now, до свидания, товарищи, and enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.